Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rad Religion Broadcasting premier podcast, Damn You Hollywood. And here's your host, president of the Taika Watiti fan club, Robert Winfrey. <laughs> Robert Winfrey. Not on the first day, big boy. Robert Winfrey. Yay! Hello, everyone. And welcome to another edition of Robert Shoots Everything That You Think Is Fun. <laughs> welcome to Robert Kills Your Puppies. Well, I mean, we had to do it with the Batman. We've done it with <laughs> others. Now we just get to do it with this. Well, are you going to get up and go get a sandwich during this one? Uh, the gag doesn't work as well because I don't have a camera at the moment. That's, but... that's what I'm saying. Like, like, if you just like get up and leave, how would we know? How would we know, David? How would we know? How would we know what? Exactly. How would we know if Robert gets up in the middle of the podcast and we get a sandwich because we're busy jerking this movie off? <laughs> well, it depends if his camera's on. It's not. How you doing, we, David? We, we, fine. We could keep asking him questions requiring him to constantly respond. Maybe like play Marco Polo with him. Like Marco. Something like that. Marco, fuck off. Marco, leave me alone. Marco, cut it out. <clears throat> Um, anyway, David writes with us back again, like second day in a row. We, he was on for he basically like held up the entire Halo review last night, and he's back again to talk Thor: Love and Thunder. Held back. I thought we started on time. <laughs> held you, you held it up. You were uh, ah. not, not like that. Not like I had a whole lot to contribute. So, <clears throat> just a review. I think if people have been longtime listeners of. BMU Hollywood, no, Robert was not a fan of Ragnarok. Robert, in like 50 words, and I really do mean 50, can you enumerate in bullet point form your general issues with Taika Waititi's take on Thor? <sighs> it's less to do with his take on Thor the character, which intermittently I think he has a decent enough grasp of. Mm -hmm. It's more his overall filmmaking style and how it blends with this character and the stories that he's trying to tell. I don't think it works very well. I I finally watched Jojo Rabbit, which Stop. I resisted for a long time. <laughs> Stop being a bully, David. <laughs> Go ahead, Robert. Jojo Rabbit works because a giant part of what's going on is the story being told through the mind of a small child desperately trying to make sense of some of the worst things that have ever happened in human history happening around him. Sure. Makes sense. That's why that works. I don't need a small child's interpretation of Thor. And that's pretty much all we get. I don't like his over-reliance on comedy. I don't like his inability to construct emotional moments. I don't like his inability to let emotional moments breathe. Can we can we can I stop you there? I know I don't want to bring David in on this discussion, but I think it needs to be acknowledged. And we'll talk about this in greater detail when we get to the money, but 
I think we would be remiss if we didn't at least acknowledge up front that the reason why Taika, Taika Waititi got this gig was that, <clears throat> and we're talking strictly about Ragnarok, is the first the first Thor movie did okay. Kenneth Branagh brought a um, brought a, a nice air to Thor. Uh, <clears throat> he gave it some gravitas, and then everyone hates Thor: The, the Dark World. No, you know people don't take the character didn't take the character particularly seriously. Thought the didn't think the movie was particularly fun, and so I think Marvel kind of thinking, well, who can we bring on that'll bring in, and this is important. It's, it's easy to dismiss, and God knows we've been dismissive of this sort of thing. But I think you, we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge Thor needed a big general audience. How do you get a big general audience? We need a director that knows how to connect to the average person. How do you connect to the average person? Through comedy, through music that everyone likes, popular music. So Taika Waititi's take on Ragnarok, you know, the end of the world, is, well, why not make it funny? <laughs> and why not laden it up as James Gunn did with Guardians of the Galaxy with fun music that everybody knows. And it's the most like beloved Marvel movie ever by the average person. I, I, you can't not acknowledge that. David, go ahead and, and speak your mind and then let Robert tell me how I'm wrong. Well, I kind of view Taika Waititi as like Paul Feig, but with talent. Sure. Yeah, That's Paul fair. Feig, Paul Feig, but competent. <laughs> yeah, like yes, he he over he tends to overload his stuff with jokes. I mean, I haven't seen much of his stuff outside of the MCU. It's pretty much his MCU films and Free Guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like he, I don't think Free Guy was his, him though. Not sure, but he was in he was in Free Guy at the very he least. Was, so he, he was. He he does have that sort of hyperactive comedy, you know, joke, 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 which okay. you know works hang, at times. Hang on one second. Here's what yeah. he's responsible for in terms of direction and writing. Eagle versus Shark, Boy, What We Do in the Shadows, Hunt for the Wilder People, Jojo Rabbit, and then he's got something coming up next year. And then he's got a bunch of television credits. And one of which includes, he's a, he's got writing and co-creating credit for Reservation Dogs, for what that means. And our flag means death, which, you know, <laughs> I've, I've heard people in the LGBTQ community love that show. Okay. Anyway, back to you. Yeah. So, but yeah, he's... He's very big on the whole joke, 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 which can work. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, think Zuckerberg brothers, think Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll just, you know, throw every joke that we think of in the script and just go, go, go. If you don't like it, well, there's been five others in the time you've been thinking about it. So you're probably right. moved on by now. Uh, whether or not that works for Thor as a character, I'm not sold on either. Uh, I'm, I'm the only person on the planet that actually really likes Thor the Dark World. Uh, and, and, and I think a lot of it is I think Thor works better when he is more the straight man in his movies. Like the, mm-hmm. the humor comes from it just being Thor in these environments having to do with these things. Like watching Thor figure out how to hang Mjolnir on a coat rack is <laughs> far more funny than any of the jokes in Ragnarok or Love and Thunder, in my opinion. To you. Uh, to me, yes. And and humor is very subjective, and I'm just giving my subjective take on it. And sure. like I'll be honest, like pretty much every joke... It, in the film, when I was in it, everybody was laughing at. So, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's doing what works. And I'm sure we're going to expand on that more when we get to the money. But yeah. just just for my personal opinion, what I'm looking for in a Thor movie, and I'm not someone who knows the comics at all. All I've really seen of Thor pre-MCU was 
They had him on one episode of the '90s Hulk animated series. If Pat Mullen is to is your representation of what Thor fans wanted, they've never gotten it since the first Thor movie, and even then, that's iffy. Yeah, but uh, yeah, like I I, I kind of like Thor more as just sort of being more straight laced. Yeah, I'm just Thor, the god of thunder, and the humor coming from Thor being put in, you know, situations where though no, it's literally the god of thunder here doing these things. Yeah, it's kind of stranger in a strange land, fish out of water. All right, yeah. Robert, you've had to listen to me play defense attorney. You've had to listen to David provide expert witness. Go ahead and prosecute <laughs> here on this on trial of Thor, Love, and Thunder. Yeah, this one's for you. <laughs> Uh, I think I do tend to agree with David. I think Thor works better in a different comedic sense when he is the over the top guy. It doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the jokes in this movie, I'm not going to say none of them landed because I think that would be a mischaracterization, but the theater that I saw this in, not full, but fuller than normal considering i saw this at noon on a tuesday (laughs) so i got to listen to other people react and i think there were only two times when the laughter was genuine there's a lot of people who when they uh, if you listen to people who you know write and observe sitcoms and whatnot they talk about the kinds of laughter you have Mm mm-hmm and a lot of the laughs that they got out of this, at least from, my, again, my theater, my experience, they got a lot of canned expected laughter. Like, oh, I'm supposed to laugh at this. Here's a chuckle. Right. They only, like, twice got genuine kind of laughter out of what happened. And, look, there's a lot of people who are perfectly content to observe a piece of media like that and fine you're welcome to rot your brain with the equivalent of sugar can of sugar cereal. Hey, knock yourself out. I am not obliged to make you feel good about your decisions, though. I think what I wanted to hear you react to was my defense of Taika Waititi. He was given a task. He succeeded at that task with Ragnarok. So, so much so that they rewarded him with a second attempt at it. And he doubled down on the things that were successful in Ragnarok. And, and so we this got one's, and thunder. well, hang on. I, I, I don't want to jump too far ahead to the money and the critics right. and whatnot. This is not ha- getting the same reaction that Ragnarok did. No, like, this, I, this might be suffering from, we've seen this trick already. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. I think Ragnarok also stood out a little bit considering when it was released relative to the tone of the other MCU films around that same time. Yeah. It doesn't anymore. This is the norm. Everyone's doing your stupid trick. You're doing... This is Avatar. Hey, come look at the great graphics. You mean the same ones that we're seeing everywhere? Yeah, but ours are no, not really distinguishable anymore. You're talking about the way... You're talking about Avatar 2, Way of the Water, right? Yeah. Okay. Like, that. that's kind of what... I think we're getting a little preview of that here. Like, oh, I have a degree of attachment to this, but there's no substance here to keep me invested. And I think people are realizing that about this one. I'm not saying it's not going to make a lot. Uh, it's not. It's going. I'm not calling it for for it to bomb or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, be wildly inaccurate, but I don't think it's going to do what Ragnarok did. I don't think it's going. To, I expect this one to fall pretty heavily week to week. That, that's my. I'll be curious to see if it beats Doctor Strange or not. And I, it, I don't. I. Oof. On the one hand, it's got good. It had a good opening. Not as good as Ragnarok, but Ragnarok was also pre 
unnamed virus of unknown origin. So ugh, I, I, I'm I'm less sure about making predictions now than I ever have been in, in that you know when we get to the money because there's well it's just so many other... things you can't count anymore. Not not to mention the fact that I think um I think with Marvel it's having the same problem that we talked about with Pixar, where fool me one, shame on shame on you, fool me five, you know, fool me nine times, shame on me. Yeah. And I think people <clears throat> because they've been burned with depending on who you are. Like some people thought WandaVision was fantastic. Some people, you know, not so much. <laughs> um, some people thought Moon Knight was fantastic. Some people, not so much. Um, Ms. Marvel seems to have split the audience, you know, Black Widow to the shock, of, to the shock of no one, <laughs> Ms. Marvel split the audience. Who'd have thought? Yeah. So she Hulk is not getting great buzz to the shock of no one. So it's yeah. like and I, I just Thor Love and Thunder may or may not have, you know, if you released this movie five years ago, may not have done much better. But you know, five years later in a pandemic, you're dealing with a whole other whole other kettle of fish here, and the same tricks might not be as successful. With that said, um, let's get into the plot. Robert, if you would please, for brevity's sake, just whip through yeah, this. Yeah. And I got we'll, it. Let's get to the craft. So we're introduced to Thor. He has, he is no longer fat Thor. He's got back in shape. He's off adventuring with the Guardians of the Galaxy. They wind up splitting up because he gets a distress signal from Lady Sif, who's still alive. Uh, now minus one arm. <laughs> uh, she is the one who informs him of our primary antagonist, Gore the God Butcher, played by played um, somewhat manically by Christian Bale. <laughs> he was having a good time. He really was. <laughs> How do you want him to play Gore, Gore the God Butcher? Have you seen the Have you seen Heath Ledger's Dark Knight? Sure, everyone has. Do yeah, that. Yeah. How do you want to play him? However, I want. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's earned it. Well, look, one scene he's going to be real quiet, and the next he's going to be over the top. Here he's going to try to be scary. Here he's going to try to be sympathetic. And Taika Waititi said, fine, I will write all of this. You just do what you do. Yeah. Uh, who has come into possession of a sword that is capable of killing the gods. Uh, and he is going planet to planet and just kind of slaughtering all the deities because he because the god that he was once devoted to didn't help him when his child was dying and didn't care about his worshippers and now you know clearly all gods are bad you know that was the most relatable scene in the entire movie to me and i had, and i also had cancer like the idea that <laughs> the idea that you would give your life to something and it would not only not give anything back to you but actually mock you for <laughs> mock you for for worshiping it like yeah we and then and then you then want to kill everything and everybody because of it yeah and in, in, in his def in his defense they did establish that the the necro sword does kind of twist and warp you and make you crazier as time goes on so you know yeah he, he his descent into more madness is perfectly explained. Yeah, yeah, the dark hole defense. Pretty much. So, apparently the latest target for Gore's anger is New Asgard, which is now a tourist trap. Uh, how the Asgardians have fallen. Overseen by Tessa Thompson with one of her two faces. <laughs> uh, so... Thor shows back up there as Gore the God Butcher shows up. We also are introduced at this point to Dr. Jane Foster re-entering the narrative, who, because of 
plot contrivance is now the wielder of Mjolnir. Uh, which has reforged itself. Sure would have been handy when fighting Thanos, but hey. We'll get to it, but I... I, I'll, I, I will. I, 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it, and I somewhat have an issue with it, but not as many as everybody else does. That's because, and I don't mean this unkindly, you don't care about continuity, you don't care about how these things connect, and you don't like thinking about how they connect. We can We can discuss it. And that's just my loose sense of that. So, uh, Gore is unable to steal Stormbreaker from Thor, which is what he wants to do because he needs access to the Bifrost in order to open up the Altar of Eternity, wherein he can find the first Eternal at, who will grant one wish to the first person that comes to his realm and talks with him. <laughs> Once again, let's all be very, very grateful that Thanos didn't go, didn't choose this method, because the Infinity Stones would not save you from this. So he kidnaps the children of Asgard to try and lure Thor into another confrontation. Thor understands this is a trap, but I've got to save the kids because Marvel <laughs> is for the children. <laughs> well, that is their market. It, it really is. In order to facilitate this walking into a trap, he decides to try and get an army of gods to attack the one person in the universe with the one weapon that can actually kill them. Tough sell. They go <laughs> to Omnipotent City, the home of the gods when they wish to be there. We meet Fat Russell Crowe as Zeus. and his Best, best performance. This is right up there with Robert De Niro in uh, Star Stardust. <laughs> And his very weird accent. Yeah, that's my favorite part of the movie. Russell Crowe going, it's Greek, right? What if I'm not? (laughs) (laughs) What if I'm loosely Greek adjacent? And Taika Waititi goes, look, I've got to deal with Christian Bale over here. Buddy, you do what you want to do. I got to manage this. What if I'm not Greek, but kind of (laughs) gay? Yeah, he's kind of loosey-zoosey. What if I'm like gay Italian? Like, whatever, Russell Crowe. You're Russell Crowe. It's fine. I mean, look. Zeus sticking it into anything is perfectly in canon with that character. (laughs) Fair enough. Dude got it on with a swan once. Or was a swan and then got it on with, like... Greek Greek mythology is wild. Zeus is... uh, Believe me, no one should care one iota if Zeus is a little bit like, Oh, you intrigue me at the moment. I'm going to rape you now. Boy, of all the things we were going to say on this podcast, that was not one of them. We brought up Zeus. What do you want me to do? (laughs) Anyway. Continue the plot synopsis. Fight sequence with (laughs) Zeus because Taika Waititi finally got around to playing God of War, I guess. That that annoyed me so much. They steal Zeus's Thunderbolt. It's the only weapon that they can give, that they can gain. They travel to the Shadow Realm, which is a small planet that they crash face first into. The only thing in this movie (laughs) I laughed at was that. But I laughed. So credit where it's due there. Once there, they begin fighting with Gore. The, uh, they enter the Shadow Realm, which is this wonderfully monochromatic zone, uh, except for bits of their magic that have color to them. They fight. Gore mostly wins. Uh, he's then able to steal Stormbreaker as they're all trying to buy Frost out of there. Uh, we get the somewhat explanation. We get a bit of the explanation about Jane Foster, who has cancer, stage four. Uh, 
and her she has been trying to stay physically vigorous by utilizing Mjolnir and staying transformed into channeling the power of Thor. This, however, is removing her mortal strength and is allowing the cancer to further ravage her body. I don't know how you made a dumber explanation for this than the comics, but you did. Good job. <laughs> uh, so she is now at the point where one more time, if I use it one more time, it will be too many times. And I'm you know, three weeks away from retirement and I've got the boat and I couldn't possibly have any more death flags if you threw them at me. Uh, so Thor takes the lightning bolt or the thunderbolt from that, that they have he teleports to the center of the universe where the pillar where the altar to eternity is gore is there still with all of the asgardian children and he starts channeling the bifrost to open up the altar to eternity thor shows up gore summons a giant bunch of shadow, shadow monsters. monsters to fight them Thor imbues a bunch of children with junk and toys with the power of Thor. Once again, another thing that would have been unbelievably useful in any number of previous encounters that this character has been present for. For a limited time only. <laughs> so the small children are able to, to these tunes of one of the worst songs ever penned. This would be November Rain by Guns N' Roses. Take out that the shadow is, monsters. That is way subjective, sir. Please move on. I will stand by that. You can fist fight me when we meet. Sure. <laughs> Thor starts fighting Gord. The fight doesn't go his way. Uh, Natalie Portman shows up, transformed into Thor. So this is her last hurrah. Between the two of them, they're able to overcome Gore and destroy the Necroblade. This blade that has existed canonically since the dawn of time. and is the only thing capable of killing gods. And somehow no one just thought to break it. <laughs> All of this is for naught, however, as while this entire fight has been going on during the entire 11-minute runtime of November Rain, uh, the, the portal to eternity opens, Gore jumps through it, Thor realizes that he has lost, Gore has won, Gore gets to make one wish from the first Eternal or whatever, the, not Eternal, the first Celestial or whatever the heck Eternity is. I think technically Eternity is part of the Living Tribunal. Don't quote me on that, though. The Living Tribunal might be a singular entity. I forget. Anyway. Thor, then, as he, he cradles a dying Natalie Portman, and he tells Gore, you know, you could have anything. So you could wish for all the gods to die, but really, would that accomplish anything? You want your What you want is your daughter back. So wish for her to come back. Don't be so limited in your scope for wishes. This, this isn't limited wish. This is real wish. Whatever you want. Gore then wishes for his daughter to come back to life. He dies in her arms. Uh, but before before he expires, he gets Thor to adopt this child that he just met. <laughs> Thor does so. And our, post our finale montage is... Uh, everyone loves Jane Foster. Valkyrie goes back to kind of ruling... Thor goes, Thor then now takes a small child on his adventuring and is very grateful that DCFS has a limited, <laughs> is limited in their responsibilities to the planet Earth. Mid-credit scene, Zeus, who survived his encounter with his own Thunderbolt, implores his son, Hercules, to kill Thor. And he's like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> 
our post credit scene is Natalie Portman arriving at the gates of Valhalla, where she is greeted by Idris Elba, as we all wish to be. And he says, thank you for saving my son. I so much appreciate it. Please come enjoy your eternal reward until the sequel when you are brought back to life via bullshit. I just want to address the... I'm going to pitch it over to you, David, but let me address the hammer thing so we can just get that out of the way. Um, when the hammer gets hammer gets shattered in Ragnarok, they are... I think at, the, at that particular time, they got yeeted off to um, Battleworld or whatever the name of the planet was. I can I can run you through the chronology there if you're so inclined. Either way, he didn't have time to be like scraping through the grass to grab his bits of Mjolnir. The thing was shattered. They were and they were gone. Um, yes. <clears throat> presumably, nobody. If the if the hammer's not calling to anyone else besides Jane, and was only calling to her when she had cancer, then nobody else has a reason to suspect that the thing can just reform itself. It's assumed. Apart from the entire five-year gap when Thor is depressed on Earth, living right next to it because no one else can pick it up. They established this. It's still immovable. Okay. Again, <laughs> I I don't know why you're arguing this particular point. The thing is, the thing is in tatters. It's been established that like the like the stupid cloak in Doctor Strange. It's got a mind of its own and operates in any way that it wants. The fucking hammer at this point is a sentient being. It decided. To just lay in pieces until it decided that Jane Foster was worthy, and it called to her. And when it called to her, it reformed. Let's it's look. not that hard of a concept, or Hold really it. worth getting involved in a huge, ridiculous argument about. This, this is not a huge, ridiculous argument. Let me rephrase this for you. No one cared, and then they decided it would be cool if it came back. Yeah. So. So that's stupid. If you're trying to write in a consistent world, apparently no one is. <laughs> I don't know why it's that hard to. I'm going to say this the last time, and then I'm going to let Judge David rule, and then we're moving on from this. I don't know why you can't just accept the hammer decided to be dead until it decided that it wanted to be with Natalie Portman. Because a big part of this movie is hammers deciding who they want to love and who they don't want to love. For the which record. I will talk about, which he, I will talk about, because I also got way dumb. Unbelievably is, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm not saying some of this movie isn't rock stupid. I'm saying it's consistent. The hammers decide who they will love and who they will not love, and they will lay dead until those until those loves come to them. The hammer Mjolnir decided it, to be in pieces until Natalie Portman got the right amount of cancer, and then it was like, "I love you, Natalie Portman. Come to me, and we will be as one." The, I, I, there's nothing to argue about. That's the story. No, the story is she proves how everyone's worthy. I'm going to yell about I'm going to yell about that closing thing when we get to it. <laughs> okay, Dave, ju ju judge right. Please rule in favor of me so we can move this on. The the only thing I will contribute to this discussion is they did have that flashback scene where Thor is talking to the hammer when he's dating Jane and says Pro protect her or something like that. Right. And you see the little Odin logo pop right. up on the hammer right what you know same as when Odin says you know whoever shall possess his hammer shall possess the power of Thor in the first movie. So you know, the, 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 the Mjolnir was apparently acting on orders from Thor, though there Thor at the time didn't know. So, but I mean, yeah, if you want to get down into the weeds, yeah, it doesn't quite make sense why Thor didn't rebuild Mjolnir because apparently it could go back together. But like, it's just I five you know, so years. <laughs> he had a new axe. He moved on yeah. to a different lover. The only the only headcanon I would say is stop projecting. Like, <laughs> like, 
I, I, I don't really understand why this Thor is still worthy of ruling Asgard since his strategy of ruling Asgard is to give it to Valkyrie and run off and be irresponsible. <laughs> like, not well, wrong. Listen, commit, not committing to your relationships and running off to do other things is apparently really popular these days. Yeah, but anyway. which kind of brings me to like my big criticism is like I just cannot believe this Thor is the the ruler of Asgard. Like you know, the, the first two movies is kind of like Thor stepping into that role and like right. learning how to be responsible and in defense of that, he tried and then they and then he got blowed up and then he was like, why bother? Well, well that was and then Thanos killed half the universe. Yeah, in well, his the, defense, he tried. Well, as established in the third movie, Asgard is not a place, it's a people. He had Asgard destroyed because Hera was linked to it, and if you destroy Asgard, you destroy Hera. So that, was, that wasn't really the issue, like because they just built you know, new Asgard on Earth, and it became a tourist town for some reason, despite having super advanced god technology. And they needed to make money. All right, yeah. what is your, let's talk about the craft of the movie, now that we're done discussing who owns Captain America's shield. David. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, craft of the movie wise. I mean, it, it does what it set out to do. Like it was, it was a fun romp, jokey romp through the galaxy with lots of bright lights and fun action scenes and music that a lot of people like again, music taste is very subjective. Like it, it was a cloud crowd pleaser. Uh, was there really much deeper than that? Not a whole lot. Thor doesn't have too much of an arc. It's more, getting back together with your ex and tis better to have loved than lost than never to have loved at all. Uh, you're, you're dismissing though, that that is a very nice arc though. No, it's, it, 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 like, it's, it's not, it's, it's there. It's not a huge part of the film, but it, it is there. Like, again, I'm not like this, this film was very meh for me. Like I just kind of found that the, the constant devotion to comedy and Chris Hemsworth wanting to be goofy all the time kind of just deflated any of the sort of tension in the film to the point where, it was just kind of like, well, you're not taking this seriously, neither am I. And, you know, I, I enjoyed the fun bits. The not fun bits was just kind of like, eh, whatever. I have a thought about that. I, I want to throw it at you while you're, while you're thinking. Maybe this changes your mind sure. about things. This is Marvel's first attempt at a romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah, but it's more of a romantic comedy with hammers. Yeah, but okay. So a romantic. <clears throat> so think like, <clears throat> like romancing the stone, you know, that sort of thing. Where yeah. it's a roman romantic comedy action movie. I think this is, Mar you know, you, you can't just do romantic comedy, not in a Marvel movie. You have to have action. So that's sort of, you know, inherent. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm saying. Like, they've never done this before. This is the very first time they've ever tried to do romantic action comedy in a Marvel movie. Um, yeah. I don't think it's a complete miss. I think they hit at least a single or a double on it. But it's their first shot at that kind of a genre. They've never, at, they've never really best. actively dealt with romance. They've never really dealt with, like, the romance genre before, and at least not in the movies. Like the romantic plot, I thought was decent. Like like Thor, Thor and Jane when Thor is not being all goofy and insecure for comedic effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there there was some good stuff there, and Star Lord's pep talk where he basically does that is better to have loved than lost and never loved at all. Just in in Star Lord is is um. What Robert? You tried twice. What did you say? I said at best they be. Based on balls, if we're talking romantic action comedy, like if we're talking just quality of story for that for mm -hmm. that genre, they might have squeaked out a walk on a missed call from the umpire. Like that's all. That's it. They didn't hit the ball at <laughs> <Okay>. all. Okay. <laughs> all right. I, I I went to you, and you're like, I didn't get to say my stupid baseball euphemism. Per perfect. Go ahead, David. <clears throat> uh, 
Yeah, so that that was fine. I thought Valkyrie and uh, Jane had some good moments together, but yeah, like it, like the the stuff with Gore was kind of interesting. I wish that they kind of done a bit more with him. Again, like the 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 Marvel movie villain problem is still a problem in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Boy, is I, it? I, yeah, maybe it was a little over stuff, but yeah, I just kind of thought that you know, other than the bits where they did do the Thor and Jane thing. It, it just kind of like the, it became so goofy. Like, you know, the, the kid, children have been kidnapped and Thor's giving his rousing speech. It's like, I know you're very scared and afraid and scared. And would you please stop write, making that noise with the pen, writing it down? And, you know, it, it's just kind of like uh, children have been kidnapped by a man called the God Butcher wielding the Necroblade. Like, and, and, you know, like at every step of the way, like Thor's meeting with the kids and he's again, just doofusing around. Like if I was those kids, I'd be like, we're going to die. <laughs> like this, this guy has no idea what he is doing. You know, I, I, I just kind of think that it just deflated those situations for me. And it's like, you know, I can't really get into the stakes of the movie because the movie's not into the stakes of the movie. Yeah. That's my major yeah. complaint with this is the tonal inconsistency because had it just played for, I think Gore the God Butcher was the wrong villain for this. They should have gone with like Enchantress or somebody. Yeah, something goofy to match the goofiness of Thor yeah. in this film. Like, like, like in, in the Dark World, there's like this great bit in the the last fight scene where like they're <laughs> being thrown through portals all over the place. Where Thor and Malak mm-hmm. they they get you know thrown through a portal on top of I think it's called like the Gherkin or something like the you know the big egg shaped building in London. And like they just kind of stop fighting each other and they're just trying to deal with like falling on this building and they're like you know, whoa, whoa. And it's funny because it suits the situation and it's a nice right. break in this sort of seriousness of this fight. And it, it feels a lot more natural. Whereas if it was just like Thor being goofy all the time, it would have just been, you know, more more goofiness and it would have you know, like Malekith would not have been that scary of a villain. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with your you know, they have to get the children back and the villain has kidnapped the children. Again, do the enchantress, do somebody. Do, don't, don't, don't give me... The problem I have with Love and Thunder is that if this is about Thor finding love again and love is life, which I'm okay with. I'm, I'm okay with this idea of I lost everything mm-hmm. and yes, I fought to save the universe in Endgame, but even since then, like, I don't know what I, I don't know what I'm here for or what I'm doing, I'm just sort of listless. And so he's out there with the Guardians, and it's like, well, I guess I'll just dedicate myself to fighting. That's all I ever seem to be good at. Yeah, I did like okay. that line. He, he, he fights the good fight for those that can't fight good. Yeah. I mean, it's, as far as Korgisms, uh, that was pretty good. And uh, just my sort of final mm-hmm. here, uh, well, actually, two things. One, the fight with Zeus was awesome. Just the way that he just totally ripped through him, I thought was was just a, a real great example of just how, how tough Thor is. Mm-hmm. And, and that being said, I'm like, why does anybody care about Hercules? He pretty much curb stomped Zeus halfway through the film. It's like, oh, great. It's another guy with a sword that wants to kill him. Good luck. Um, <laughs> but uh, like, like the bit at the end where sort of he says, like, Yo, you've won Gore. And then he just goes to walk away and goes, you know, don't you turn your back on me. He's like, what? Like, you know, you've won. Like, I'm going to die here. And I can I'd rather spend my last minutes with the woman I love before I'm gone. So, you know, nuts to you. And I think that was sort of what kind of turned gore the sort of mm-hmm. humanizing for lack of a better word gods well right. what i was trying what i was saying I, I thought you were done with your point but yeah sorry i'm the, pretty much that's all i got <laughs> the tonal inconsistency of 
there's a really great story to tell of somebody who has lost their faith and their faith has driven them to murderous madness. Mm-hmm. That's that's our story. Deal yep. with that. Yes. Don't deal with that. And then the other thing you're dealing with is I I you know I need to find I need to find love again. I need to find a reason yeah. to go on. Yeah, I fighting need to find not, myself again. Right. Fighting is not a reason to go on. Fight fighting is a reason to fight. Um love is a reason to to get up in the morning and go on. Love love of yourself, love of yeah, your I, as commander teaches us, we fight for love. Yeah. <clears throat> that in and of itself was good enough of a story. Now, throw, get a witch out there who steals children because she's, you know, going to bake them in her gingerbread house. Fine. That's what they can deal with. And that's that's good enough as a, of a movie. This was two different movies smashed together and totally they didn't match. Um, and so you undercut the seriousness of Gore the God Butcher by making him by trying to dumb him down for your child audience and trying to jury rig him into this love story which made no sense. And then you've got this goofy love story, this really colorful, goofy 80s hair metal love story that's great, yeah. and you're trying to jam it into this like melancholy meditation on loss of faith and murder. Yeah, I do I do you say that. I don't that, match. Yeah, I, do, I do like the sort of heavy metal aesthetic for Thor, the yeah. sort of Viking metal thing. It, it I, works. That's one of the things I loved about this movie was that this was right out of the, the cartoon heavy metal. So like, like that's great. That aesthetic matched the love story element of it. It didn't match the gore of the God Butcher. Like, that should have been a whole other thing. But that's really, like, my biggest complaint about it. Because, again, I like the I like the story that Thor goes on in, in terms of, um, you know, it's better, to, as you said before, it's better to have loved and, and lost than to not love at all. I think that's a very valuable lesson. And I think, you know, the idea of... I mean, it's hackneyed, don't get me wrong, but I think the idea of he loses the love of his life, but he gains this child and he dumps, you know, he dumps his, his love and wisdom into this child and they go off and have adventures together. That's fine. I like that. That was a nice ending. Um, and, and for, for me, it saves a lot of the movie. Obviously I loved all the music. I'm a huge guns. And, no, I'm not wearing my t-shirt tonight. Last night I was wearing guns and roses t-shirt. Tonight I'm wearing black flag. Um, I'm a huge guns and roses fan. I just got to see them live last year for my uh, anniversary wedding anniversary. And um, <clears throat> so hearing him messing up aliens to welcome to the jungle and, you know, doing other stuff to uh, a sweet child of mine at one point. Multiple um, points. Yeah, multiple points. <laughs> um, November Rain didn't bother me the way it bothered him, but I like November Rain as epic as it is. Uh, so none of that, that stuff. None of, I know you do. None of that stuff bothered me. Uh, I was really enjoying it. I. I can appreciate the colorful aesthetic and color palette of this movie. Um, I guess I'll talk a little bit about the the cancer stuff. Cancer survivor twice. Um, I don't think you're qualified to talk about this, Mark. You're right. Um, (laughs) Let me move on. Um, Look, I uh, the idea that things won't work and you're going to (laughs) die resonated with me a lot. And, um, you know, the, this, like this thought of like, I got to try, you know, I was reminded of uh, Jim Carrey's, um, Andy Kaufman, man on the moon, where like he, he'll try anything at this point because it's what, or that, or just die, you know? Um, my problem is while comic accurate in the sense of Jane Foster gets cancer and that's how she ends up becoming Thor in the comic. And so they just mirrored that to the best of their ability. It, 
it's still way too serious of a thing for as goofy as this movie was. And so again, we have some tonal problems. We get like one scene and look, I've been through chemo. It really messes you up and she seems fine. Like now, you know, not, not that I needed, not like we needed to go full American splendor with her, but either, either do cancer or don't, but don't have pregnant cancer. It's too serious of a thing. And I can see why some people were like, boy, you really kiddied this up and didn't really give people, you know, that what was missing for me was, I think, the sense of desperation. It looks like she's just going through another yeah. chemo treatment and you never really get a sense of the chemo's not working because I've been through the chemo isn't working. They had to change mine two and three times and how like worse off I got when it wasn't working. You don't get any of that with her. Cutting out, you know, cutting away from her picking up uh, Mjolnir and then just flashing forward to the fight with the, the shadow uh, people thing and she's already like fully formed. I think, I mean, I granted no one's coming to, no one, no one except a handful of girls are going to come into this movie to see fucking Natalie Portman as Thor, but it would have been nice to spend some time with her a little bit during that instead of jumping into she's a full-fledged hero who knows how to use the hammer and can fight people because I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, she's an astrophysicist, not a fucking, you know, Viking warrior. She, like, she, just because you have the power of Thor doesn't mean you know how to swing that hammer and hit things. And they, she was like, you know, full on Avenger at that point. I'm like, mm. and it's funny the way they treated it too, because it was like, on the one hand, it's like, oh, she's too new at this. She doesn't know what she's doing. And they limited that to, she has bad catchphrases, not she's bad at this. They saved, she's yeah. bad at this for Thor. Like, like Thor messes up that group of aliens and then shatters the religious temple. And it's like, oh, Thor is a little heavy handed. Meanwhile, Natalie Portman just definitely de defeating all the enemies but she's goofy and awkward oh she's a bad hero <laughs> come on so like i could see why robert and like some of the writing there just probably made you want to bang your head into the seat in front of you um in fact. <laughs> but uh overall just so we can move this on i uh the scene i want to bring this up because the group I saw it with, I, I went with a friend and her kids and my kids. And we were talking about it at, we went to go get a meal after. And uh, I was like, you know, trying to conduct a little group, little, little, uh, little group of, with you know, the range, the age ranges were like eight to 17 of kids. And I'm like, what did you guys think of the movie? What were your favorite parts? What were your least favorite parts? To the letter, everyone had the same complaint about the omnipotent city scene. They're like, if this is where all the gods are, where were all the gods? What do you mean? Well, there's Zeus. Where was Athena? Where was Ares? Where yeah, was actually, Athena? I have an issue with that. Like, we, we've established that Athena was based on Athena from the Eternals, but now we just learned that the Greek gods are apparently real. So is there also a real Athena? Okay. Hang on one sec. Before I continue with this, like, we're getting comments in here from our friends Pat and Derpy Gaming. So Derpy says, this movie was as mid as can be. Yep. Fun, though. And mm -hmm. Pat... Uh, Big Thor fan says, I like the scene where Thor calls Jane. Nope. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Damn you, Pat. <laughs> you saw a different cut than I did. <laughs> I think there might be a bit of headcanon going on. I didn't read that ahead of time. Uh, how did the women feel when Thor told Jane to get back in the kitchen? Love you, Pat. Not getting on the show again. Anyway. Um... 
Oh, you've got to proofread that, Mark. He got me, man. I normally do, and I'm like, ooh, can't put that on screen. And I just, I, I just saw, like the comments as we were talking, just mountain mountain. I'm like, oh, let me get these in real quick. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, YouTube. Anywho, um, <laughs> fuck you, Pat. Anyway, um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should you should have picked up on that, Mark. <laughs> one in a million shot, Pat. We appreciate you taking it. <laughs> Fucking blew up the Death Star. Um, anyway, this group of kids all said the same thing. Like, where are all the other gods? From a craft, like strictly like craft and budgeting perspective, my explanation was you don't want to like just dump a ton of money into like colorful costumes and different name actors just so you can have a bunch of gods. You're gonna blow your budget. On, on one stupid scene, and all you needed were nameless goons so they could have a fight scene. But I, I thought it was an interesting observation, and I don't know if one that really warrants further discussion, but they were like, if this is omnipotent city and it's full of gods, we should have seen a whole room full of different gods. I'm like, huh. Did they not see the bit where they go past Bao, the the dumpling god, and Korg gets to see his, his god? Like sure. I just, I, I thought it was, and they, and they would not let that go either. Like, I, I tried to move the conversation on, and they just went on and on and on about, like, this should have been this god, this should have been that god. And then my daughter is, like, like pointing at different, like, <laughs> she was like, I think I saw Athena over here, and she's, like, like trying to, like, find Easter eggs of gods in different parts mm -hmm. of the scene. And I'm like, nope, it was just a fight scene, guys. They just, they, we, they were up to a fight scene. That's what was happening. Um, I really liked the final fight, the monochromatic fight scene um, in whatever universe, mirror Shadow universe zone or whatever Shadow, called, yeah, yeah. The Phantom Zone. Um, <laughs> you were talking before about like imbuing the kids like the powers and I was like, at this point we're doing Superman 4. People can just have whatever powers the movie needs them to have. I've long, I mean, it's bad writing, but I've long since stopped caring about such things. Like, it's fine. He can do it. I mean, in the comics somebody, maybe it was Loki or the Enchantress, Pat will know. Pat actually brought this up on Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, uh, where they imbued a fucking crowbar, you know, and <laughs> a handful of other weapons for the wrecking crew. Like, I don't care at this point. Comics are dumb. So, you know, if, if they want to give Thor the power of imbuing weapons temporarily, who cares? Um, I'll go over to you. <clears throat> I'll go over to you, Robert, for your thoughts on this. I mean, overall, I like I was entertained by the movie it obviously has problems it has tone problems it has writing problems but i it's also 2022 marvel you know they it is what it is sorry your brother weighing in this movie is bad and should feel bad i mean that's an opinion your your turn all right let me let me start with my good uh if there was an Oscar for the best sport about doing stupid stuff in a film, Chris Hemsworth should get it. Yeah. Like he, he does the dumbest stuff and he does it with enough professionalism to try and make it work. So serious kudos to him for that. He got into insane shape for this. So again, kudos to him for that. Uh, I had other good things. Hang on. Uh, I'm with you guys about like, I like the fight sequence on the, uh, again, like in the shadow realm. Like I, that's legitimately visually interesting, somewhat tactically interesting. Not really, but it's the closest this movie gets to that. Like, that's all well and good. 
Uh, Hemsworth and Portman have good chemistry. So uh, there's that. Thank you for that, Pat. You're just providing appropriate context for what we discussed earlier. Here's a couple of the problems with this movie. It is badly paced. Uh. It is. I almost fell asleep in it. I almost stole Mark's gimmick of falling asleep in the movie theater while watching a movie. Like that's how I, I, utterly. I will tell you that that was the kid's complaint too. Is that hey, when stuff is happening, this movie is fun, but when they're just talking, yikes. So that's a real problem. Uh, oh, the the other positive. This movie, while Thor does stupid things, it does not treat him like a joke. And considering how many of these stupid Marvel movies lately have treated their name, marquee name heroes as unbelievably stupid, that deserves a, that deserves to be acknowledged. So. I am, this is me acknowledging it. Bale's performance as Gore is... It is wildly uneven, and it is tonally dissonant within a tonally dissonant film. It is a waste of a perfectly good concept and character, and shame on them for doing this. The shadow m minions that he summons... You know some... Somewhere in someone's head when they did this, they had at least the vague idea that these things would be somewhat intimidating. And they're just not. <laughs> they don't look great. And then to to like to cement their jobber status, regular Asgardians are killing them in the first attack on New Asgard. To say nothing of an army of them being mowed down by children. Children imbibed with the power of Thor and Zeus. I don't care. There's no tension to those creatures. None. Absolutely they're, none. At no they're, essentially point. they're essentially Batman 66 goons. As yeah, they're stormtroopers. Yeah. But I mean, if we're going to if we're going to complain about that, we can just complain about just about every henchman for every supervillain. That's kind of why I brought it up. It's like I get what Robert's saying and I think it's more of just sort of a plea to Hollywood could we might, you know, Yes, nameless goons and armies, but maybe give them a little bit more of a, of a threatening vibe. Not, you know, why do we wear this armor? Yeah, yeah. see what we feel about the Eternals when, uh, well, what are they called? The monsters, the de, de, deviants. Deviants, thank you. When, when when a deviant showed up, shit got real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Your brother going. If anyone hasn't made the joke about Christian Bale playing Gore, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Ha 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 ha. That's actually pretty yeah. good. <laughs> uh, I taught him well on occasion. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mentioned the pacing. and I think that's a real problem with this movie. There's nothing to make the majority of it interesting. There's mm -hmm. the over-reliance on, on jokes. And the problem with that is if they don't land, Watiti just repeats the same joke. Yeah. I, I, meant, I meant to mention that again. the first time he does the the projection on the hammer that the hammer is a girl that got away. It's kind of funny. The second time it's like, oh, it's a little creepy, but OK, the 500th time they do that same joke. I'm like, I'm over this all the fuck ready already. Let's go. Like, can we not? It, it got very family guy to where but it never but it just sort of becoming funny again. Like it really 
it really got overplayed real fast. I can't tell you how much I hated those goats. (laughs) (laughs) Almost walked out of the theater. Can I tell can I tell you that got funny again by the end to me? Like after a while, I was like, with the stupid goats already. And then by the end, it was like, nay. And I'm like, and I started laughing just because, like, oh my God, we're still doing this. Look, if that ever got to the point of being funny for you, I just attribute it to Stockholm syndrome, but fair enough. <laughs> after they hit yeah, the planet, I, it was kind of funny. <laughs> I hope they died. Like that thing crashes <laughs> into the planet. I go, I hope those goats are dead. <laughs> and then no, one of them takes down a shadow monster and then they leave. that's and that's i think the big failing of this movie if the humor doesn't work there's no diversity of humor Uh it's the same couple of gags the entire way through and if those don't work for you you are going to have a miserable experience watching this movie yeah the i'm not with you on you know Thor adopting a small child that he just met after basically facilitating the death of her father and everything being kind of hunky dory. And then her having laser eyes for reasons. <laughs> not, not a big fan of that. Okay. I mean, you're, you're allowed uh, to not be fans of things. I, I don't care I, uh, about the details of that. I care that finding love is important and, and not, and love of a mate isn't the most important thing ever. It's just love in and of itself. And so love of a child works just as well. That's all I was saying. Fair enough. I did not. The cancer stuff with Natalie Portman annoyed me because of what you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a thing that you should be treating like this under those circumstances. That was a bad call. It was a really bad call. All right. I mean, again, at least the comic ha- treated her cancer with gravitas. Like if you see her when she's not transformed, she is, uh, she looks like a stage four cancer patient. Like, yeah, feel free to look up images if you want. Like they, they went out of their way to make it clear when she is not transformed, she is ravaged. I, I had stage four cancer. I was still heavy. So I wasn't necessarily like that skinny or anything. Could have at least I shaved her hair. I was very sick. I, yeah, I, yes, like, I, like I said, when I saw her in the chemo chair, which by the way, that's not how that goes. Like, I, that's now the second time I've seen chemo <laughs> on like television in a movie. I've had chemo in a fair amount of places. There's a partition, like, you're not on top of each other like that. You're not um, doing plasma. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why every time they, they show like people getting chemo, I, I've either been in my, in a, in a room or I've, or it's it's a hospital bay with like partitions around so that you're separated from people because they don't want you on top of each other. But hey, you know what happens when you get chemo? Your immune system goes away, and they don't want you getting each other sick. Anyway, go on. The CGI in places for this movie falls apart. Mostly, it looks good. Just gonna stress this. Mostly, it looks good. So don't yell at me about this. I'm with you on the color palette. I actually think Thor lends itself to the kind of hyper uh, saturated, very stylized color palette. That I'm okay with that. I, I think that works. But there's times when what they're doing with the CGI is very obvious. And, like, it, it, and because elements of it are so good, it stands out even more. 
to say nothing of the circumstances wherein it's very clear that they CGI'd Natalie Portman's head onto someone else's body. <laughs> like, that's a thing they did more than once, and you can tell. <laughs> so, there was that. I just... Alright. I have refrained from yelling at Taika Waititi directly about anything related to this movie. But I'm going to yell at him about this one. Korg should not have been here. Uh. Korg is a joke. Some people find him funny. Some people don't. Fair enough. I'm not here to judge anyone who thinks what Korg does is funny. But he's a joke. He's a one-note joke. And like every other joke you put in here, you beat it into the ground to the point where even people who might have thought it was funny were sick of it. No. Hang on, I gotta I gotta stop you because Pat's in the in, in in the YouTube comments and like every other comment is now the C word. I'm you're not getting another one through, Pat. You got me once. You got me once because I wasn't reading what you were doing. I'm now reading everything that you're doing. Like half listening to Robert, half texting my wife, half reading what you're doing. Three halves. Okay? You're not going to get another one past the goalie on this one. So you keep having fun in the comments. I'm not letting you through. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Korg should not have been in this movie nearly as much as he was. This is just Watiti's vanity. He just wanted to be on screen more. Well, his character, the one that he voices, it's obviously not him physically. Uh, that's all that was. That was a vanity move, and shame on you. You made your movie worse. Uh, your brother, uh, your brother, and Evan Bevins are going to get into like a sissy slap fight because he says some people want that would go very screen. That would go very badly for Mr. Bevins. I've seen him, and I've seen my brother. I know which of them can physically handle themselves. Ah, but which one? Which one has bigger pants that they can throw? It says some people want to throw their pants at the screen whenever he shows up. Yeah, Evan Devin's a big fan of Korg. Okay. Some people like the Repo Man, too. What do you want me to say? <laughs> All right. Come on. Keep going. Is there anything else I had to say about the craft of this, this movie? Uh, again, if they actually leave Jane Foster dead, I'll applaud it. I don't. I doubt that they will, but... Even my eight-year-old son's like, fuck this movie. <laughs> they, they, he, he was like, I don't even understand why they killed her. You, they're just going to bring her back. Like, he's just come short of, because he doesn't know any better, but he's just come short of saying the only people who stay dead in Marvel movies are Uncle Ben. And <laughs> that, that's it. And okay, yeah, and that's it. He's like, like, he walked out of the movie like, Jonas, what did you think of the Love and Thunder? He's like, it's, it's great. It's it was better than Doctor Ben's. Strange, but I don't understand why they had to kill Jane Foster. She, they're just going to bring her back again. It's a Marvel movie. Nobody stays dead. Like, I said it before with the, with the Doctor Strange movie. Like when you've lost the eight-year-old, you you have definitely lost lost your audience. Okay, the the last thing I have here on the craft, and this really annoyed me. One of the repeated devices, uh, the repeated narrative devices throughout this movie is someone telling the story of Thor, right? Mm -hmm. The final one is let me tell you the story of mighty Thor. <laughs> Jane Foster, who proved, who helped show us all what it means to be worthy, and I almost swore at the screen. <laughs> I. You do not get to try and 
Stockholm Syndrome me or gaslight me into pretending that I didn't just watch your shitty movie. I was here. I watched it. I heard it. I know what that movie was about. I know what Jane Foster's arc was about. Had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with worthiness. She didn't pick up the hammer because she was worthy. She picked up the hammer because Thor told it to protect her. You made this decision. You do not. And she was dying. Don't forget, she was dying. She was dying. I don't Uh, care. Okay, but that was. Look, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just. I'm trying to accentuate your point. Because David reminded me, yes, Thor said, "Be a good dog and protect the girl," you know, Chewbacca, and she, and and the hammer called to her and said, "Come get me, I'll save you from your cancer," which makes the whole thing about it sucking her life force really stupid. It really, <laughs> yes, it really does. <laughs> Come here so and, I can kill you. I'm a horror monster. And you don't get to try and shoehorn in a this was about a strong female character into your ending speech when I've just watched your stupid movie wherein that factored not at all. I am not brain damaged despite this movie's best efforts. I remember what I watched. Shame on you. Bad writing. Utter shame. Your your family. All of it. (laughs) Terrible writing. Terrible. Dishonor on your cow. Darn um, right. Can I... Dishonor on your stupid lava baby. Can I talk really quick about something I did like about the movie? Um, we, we can, we're we all friends here. We can be loosey-goosey. I don't have to... I say, you say, we say, we're done. I really liked when they connected on the... Um, right right before, I think, Act 3, where they have their moment on um, on the Viking ship. And, you know, and he talks about loving her and and they reconnect. You know, I, I again, you don't get to do a lot of romance in Marvel. Um, you know, Mike, I think I've talked about this in the past. Mike Slocata talked about it in like how romance is utterly absent from Star Wars. It's like rom- you know, love and romance is, is a part of the human condition. Uh, and sometimes I think, you know, we as like action fans, you don't get a lot of, you know, it's like you, you get the love interest because you got to put a sexy broad in your action movie. And that's all it is. It's like, why are these, you know, I think like this, the pitch meeting guy says, makes fun of this a lot. Why are these two people in love with each other? Because they're hot and in the movie. Yep. So I, I think, I, I think the, the, the critical element of relationship bonding, people coming together and, you know, you know, real love are often missing in movies like this because, Again, you're trying to reach an audience that you know really didn't come here for romance, and I I want to give Taika Waititi credit for at least in that one scene. Like he, like if he nailed nothing else in this movie, I think he nailed the essence of love and connection between Thor and Jane in that one bit, and it's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. So I I just want to throw that out there. I heard someone else say at one point about the Marvel movies, this was years ago, that his opinion was one of the things that was utterly... (laughs) One of the things that was utterly absent from so many of the Marvel movies was Eros. Mm -hmm. It was the kind of like genuine romantic... uh, I'm going to say erotic connection, but I don't mean in the like salacious sense. And that how that was something that Marvel had not done. Like you, you, like you said, you have love interests, mm-hmm. but 
you can count on one hand the number of those pairings that you thought like were genuine. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason they had Cap never move on from Peggy. Right. Like that's that was kind of it. You know, there was there was never a sense for like I mean even Tony and Pepper, which went on forever. Like that never there was no spark there, you know? Like you get a little bit of right. it with Chris with Chris Pratt and Gamora, but all the other ones, they're they're perfunctory. Like, I mean, you said, they're here yeah, because they have to be here. They tried with Age of Ultron with Scarlett um, Johansson and um, what's his nuts Mark who Ruffalo. plays Hulk, Mark Ruffalo. And the, here's the thing, and this is why I think, at least on the subject of of love and romance, I think Love and Thunder is wildly more successful than any other Marvel movie, as it should have been, because I because um, Rapey Mick touchy fingers what's his name the director of age of ultron um joss whedon that's the one so joss whedon like wants to spend time and develop this relationship between hulk and black widow but we have to get on to killing the robot so we can't do anything with it we have like a scene where she like acknowledges i'm a monster too because i can't have children hey you can't just drop a bomb like that like I I understand not a lot of your audience is women. It's more dudes who aren't going to relate to that sort of thing. But to like the five women who showed up for Age of Ultron, it was like, oh God, please don't talk about how if you're a you're a monster if you can't have children to women. And then you're like, moving on now. We have to go talk. To, we have to go deal with Tony and you know and fucking yeah. Shield. Like okay. you can't do that. Serious serious life advice for anyone out there. Okay, women, men, whatever, don't care. Serious life advice. If you know a man who is a vocal and active feminist, he's a scumbag. <laughs> you, I like that's you your takeaway from my don't talk about don't talk about no, 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 no. Hang women on. that way. Here's what I mean. Here's why I bring this up, right? Mm-hmm. Now, look, if you have any men who are genuinely misogynistic, yeah, screw them. Like, this is not defending backwards thinking in that respect. Anyone who goes out of the way to any man who goes out of the way to broadcast their feminism, that's a giant red flag for them as a person. Mm -hmm. You can support feminist causes. There are at various points in the various feminist movements. They have been entirely on the right side of everything and they should have been supported more than they were. But you get someone who is broadcasting it. That's, again, that's a pretty big red flag, which is to say, why am I not surprised that someone handling that, that someone least equipped to discuss even remotely <laughs> the mental and emotional headspace of women trying to deal with not being able to have children would be that asshole. <laughs> right. So I only bring it up because we could be here for another hour and I really want to wrap this up by 1045, um, 11 at the latest. I, I bring it up because that's about the closest Marvel has ever really come to to dealing with the nuance of relationships between romantic partners other than you know the the way that every action movie deals with it hot man hot woman make a baby um so at least like taika watiti for all of his foibles and faults in filmmaking and overuse of the same joke i think cracked it out of the park in that one scene um david we we've, we've been talking as we are want to do yeah. because we love each other <laughs> so I'm gonna let you get the last word here on the craft, and then we'll uh, we'll get into the money. Uh, 
kind of just what I said before. It's uh, yeah, it doesn't quite work for me with the the comedy versus the tone. But again, like that, there is a story there. There is character growth there. There is emotion. You know, everybody laughed when they were supposed to laugh. The action scenes were solid. Like it, it did what it was supposed to do. Didn't quite do it for me, but you know, like as we're about to discuss, you know, it, it, it did what he wanted it to do. It, it absolutely was wildly successful. And how successful was it? We're going to find out momentarily. We're in the money. We're in the money. All righty. On a budget of Marvel money, uh, $250 million. Its current box office gross is $315.5 million. It's going to read this straight through because it broke all kinds of records. According to the wiki, um, as of July 11th, 2022, Thor, Love and Thunder, Mastodon, Blood and Thunder, grossed uh, $156.3 million in the United States and Canada, and $159.2 million in other territory for a worldwide gross, as I said, of $315.5 million. The film's opening weekend <coughs> earned $303.3 million globally of which IMAX contributed to 23 million making it the third largest July debut of all time for the IMAX format in the US and Canada the film was projected to gross 140 to 167 million in its opening weekend <clears throat> along with a total gross of 345 to 420 million the film earned 69.5 million on its first day which included 29 million from Thursday night previews this marked the second highest opening day and preview night of 2022 behind Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Missed Opportunities, as well as the fifth highest opening day ever, fifth highest opening day ever for an MCU film. Its opening weekend earned $144.2 million, which was the largest debut for the Thor franchise. Doesn't matter what any of us think, this thing in Taika Waititi is getting more, 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 just like the ABBA song. More, more, more. How do you like it? How do you like it? Taika Waititi. How do you like it? How do you like it? The 12th largest for the MCU and the third largest of 2022 behind the Multiverse of Madness and Jurassic World Dominion. Of the 144.2 million figure, over 13.8 million came from IMAX, making it the fifth. Okay, we already did all that. Love and Thunder was also the sixth film in the uh, COVID-19 pandemic to earn over 10 million theater admissions in its opening weekend. <clears throat> Outside of North America, Love and Thunder grows to 15.7 million from 17 markets on its opening day, surpassing the first day overall results of Thor Ragnarok by 39%. Its weekend gross of 159.2 million from 47 markets, making it the MCU's ninth largest overseas debut ever and the third largest for any Hollywood film released in the COVID-19 pandemic. It set several international box office milestones in its opening weekend, making the second highest pandemic opening in Australia, New Zealand, and the Philippines, while earning the third highest in numerous territories, including Brazil, Italy, Thailand, Singapore, and Argentina. As of July 10th, 2022, the film's largest markets internationally are Korea, the United Kingdom, Australia, Mexico, and India. Like I said, it doesn't matter what any of us think. This thing is a wild success. And there's only going to be more of this sort of thing as time goes on. Because as we know, when studio executives happen to come upon a successful formula, what do they do, Robert? They run it into the ground. Then they run yep. it further into the ground. Then they go, well, why won't China let us in? 
<laughs> then someone dies near the head of the studio and someone else goes, well, what if we monkey with the formula a little bit? By which point, no one cares about the formula anymore. So they find a new formula and then we just repeat this. Yep. All right. So Thor Love and Thunder was the number one movie of the weekend, as we said it would. Uh, Minions fell from one to two and had a 56.9 drop. What do you think about that, Robert? That's probably about what was expected. It, it opened bigger than anticipated, so it was going to drop a little heavier than... Uh, the bigger the opening weekend, generally the bigger the drop. So I'm not terribly surprised by that. Top Gun fell from two to three. That is also breaking all kinds of ridiculous records. I think it's like the top earner since the great theater reset uh, post-COVID-19. Um, I can look that up a little bit later if, if we feel like it, but yeah, just just take it as read. Like a lot of the articles I read today in preparation for this are Top Gun Maverick is still killing it in the theaters. Um, Elvis fell from three to four. Jurassic World Dominion four to five. The Black Phone, which is I think now PVOD or is about to be five to six. Lightyear six to seven. Marcel the shell with the shoes on um, jumped from eleven to eight. Mr. Malcolm's List seven to nine. Doctor Strange currently on Disney Plus, 9 to 10. Everything Everywhere All at Once, 8 to 11. The Bad Guys, 14 to 12. Bob's Burgers, 13. Again, Official Competition, 16 to 14. The Forgiven, 17 to 15. Hallelujah, 22 to 16. Uncharted, 21 to 17. Uh, just got greenlit for a single, uh, sequel, by the way. I don't know how you feel about that. Badly. <laughs> I guess that's how you feel. <laughs> and Phantom of the Open. Uh, stayed at 18 and debuting at number 19 was Fire of Love and 20 is Fire. Also debuting this week was Dreaming Walls inside the Chelsea Hotel at 24, Murina at 25. And that was the weekend that was international uh, worldwide. <coughs> Top Gun still, excuse me, safely at uh, over a billion dollars, currently inching its way to 1.2. Doctor Strange petered out 953, Jurassic World still climbing the charts. At 877, um, not bad. I don't think it's gonna pass Doctor Strange or make the billion no. mark, but I think, but I think Universal is fine with it. Like, yeah, yeah. At least we didn't lose money. Um, the Batman slipping to number four, Watergate Bridge at number five, Minion shooting up the charts, just putting everybody to shame. Illumination is the theater to beat. Pixar is in the rearview mirror. What a once great studio has fallen. But uh, I'm sure. Yes. At number six, uh, Fantastic Beasts at number seven at 405. Sonic the Hedgehog at 401. Uncharted also at 401. And Thor Love and Thunder making its debut in the worldwide box office at number 10 with $315 million. It has almost no competition this weekend. Um, the biggest worldwide release is uh, Paws of Fury, The Legend of Hank, and Where the Crawdads Sing. So... I would imagine the number one movie of this weekend will also be Thor Love and Thunder. It Robert, probably it, holds on. Yeah. Uh, nope comes out the 22nd. That'll be the number one movie of its weekend, more than likely. And then the 29th is DC League of Super Pets, which will be the number one movie of its weekend. So, um, and then we have Bullet Train. That'll be the number one movie of that weekend. You have, uh, I don't August, know why you have so much faith in Bullet Train. Just throwing that out there. A lot of marketing. If you've been to the theater in the last six months, you've seen that trailer. I have. I look. They did a good job of telling people it's out there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it has a. I'm not sure it draws a giant audience. That's all I'm saying. Um, I mean, I giant audience 
nothing. It, it'll be the one that if anyone goes to the movies that weekend, it'll be the one everyone sees. So I, I all I said was it'll be the number one movie of that weekend. But by you know, we're talking between now and then. What do you think? Nope's going to repeat. It's not. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's that that it's nope is what comes out the week before. So either nope repeats or Bullet Train is your number one movie. I mean, I'm not convinced nope's going to repeat. All right. All right. Um, anything else about you want to discuss as far as the wild success of Thor Love and Thunder? Nope. You are. <laughs> you, know, you know what? No. Here's all I'm going to say about this to the people. Yes, sir. You don't understand what you're doing here. <laughs> Hang on. Well, let me just here. But which is just to say the following. You are not going to like where this ride goes. That's it. That's all I'm saying. You're not going to like how this turns out. Um, so much of what's going on in Marvel is already like in the can or, or so far into development. They can't like, they can't Taika Watiti everything. You know, if you're suggesting that you want to tell you what, let's see how many, let's see how many of these projects that are already quote unquote in the can have reshoots done. Let's find out. Okay. You want to bet? Uh, no, but I do want to revisit this conversation. So <laughs> at the at the end of 2023, so well, well, here's what we have next. Because there's no possible way they can Taika Waititi uh, Wakanda forever. It's too far into development. It's too far into pr- post-production. It's it's coming out that, in November. That, there's no oh, fucking way. That, they had to, they're going to have to lock that movie soon. Here's the, uh, here's the other reason I think they won't mess with that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Coogler has a I did not very. I did not care very much for Black Panther for a variety of reasons, but uh, look, I'm we shocked. talked about it. We mm-hmm. talked about it. Listen to our review. We look. We yep. yelled at plenty of people who had wrong-headed criticisms of that film. Like, yes, but Ryan Coogler has a pretty specific uh, artistic vision, and I don't think they're going to rock the boat too much with him on this one. Okay. Well, after that is the Ant Man, the third Ant Man movie. Guarantee, guarantee, guarantee they are licensing new music for that right now. <laughs> okay. Um, after that, I think it's the Marvels. Oh, yeah. Again, I would guarantee you they are immediately, like, anything we can do, anything we can do to try and make Brie Larson seem like a real human being. <laughs> and then I think there's a Fantastic Four movie that follows that, and then Blade. Um. Yeah, the Fantastic Four movie I'm worried about at this point. Okay. They still haven't you found should... a director. Yeah, that, that seems to be a project in, in danger. I, I think my the argument that we're having is you're, and I'm not sure if you're just limiting this to Marvel, if this is going to be like, oh, like it, the James Gunn thing. It extends yeah, like, far beyond Marvel, but since we're talking well, about well, Marvel. James, well, James Gunn had a wild success with Guardians of the Galaxy, and it affected movies far and wide. Like everyone's sort of copying the James Gunn formula for a while, and no one was getting it right, and no one was getting it right. But now you look at Taika Waititi and the success that he has with the Thor movie. Your contention seems to be that like everyone's going to start copying Taika Waititi. It's going to affect films far and wide, not just the Marvel movies. And I'm not not convinced that that's the case. So we'll see. Wait for the next Jurassic. Hang on. Wait for the next Jurassic World movie or whatever they do with the IP. I think they're done with that. I think. No, no. they're done with this trilogy, quote unquote, but you, they're not going to let that lie fallow. They are not going to 
we're not going to wait five years for the next Jurassic whatever movie. We're not. Okay, so so your your contention is that when they when Jurassic Universe comes out or Jurassic Galaxy, whatever it happens gonna, to be, yeah, um, that it's going to be all Taika Waititi'd up. Yep. All right. Let's uh. Well, like much like our Minions review, come back in a year and hear how wrong or right we are. Like you know, when like when Robert said, you know, there's no way Trump wins the presidency. <laughs> Yeah, I was. <laughs> I thought he was doing that as a, as a publicity stunt. Again, like we recorded that not long after he announced, and we all just kind of were rolling our eyes. Yeah, well, I'm sure it was a publicity stunt, but it turns out it was for real. And with you that said, the only one who made that mistake. <laughs> I, I wish right, I was the only one who had made that mistake. Now, and look, we, we can talk about him again when he wins in 2024. Oh my God! Here we go. Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Thor, Love and Thunder comes in at fresh with 67%, which I think is the lowest for a Marvel movie from what I read. Or close to probably the yeah. i'm more surprised i'm genuinely surprised at the audience score that's low you know i'm not sure how much of this got review bombed because so natalie portman in the uh marketing for this movie is like this is the gayest marvel movie we've ever done and she said that um saying that that's a good thing and we know that some of the uh audience for marvel movies is not a huge fan of gaying things up so I'm wondering how much of this got review bombed by people who are like, could you keep your gay out of my superhero flick? You, you know, I mean, I, the, the, I, the, I, it's like she was pretty much damning it with faint praise to, to use that expression. One more time, <laughs> it David. really was. One more time, David, because between breaking up and talk, being talked over, I got none of that. Okay. Go ahead. So that, that's damning it with faint praise, as in, like, there wasn't really a whole lot of gayness in most Marvel movies, and this <laughs> one didn't really add much to that. Well, it's funny because, like, I think even. Um, uh, what's it, not William Bibiani, but uh, William Seibold from Critically Acclaimed, you know, somebody on Twitter was like, oh, this is like the gayest Marvel movie they've ever done. And he's like, okay, what we're qualifying as gay, and then he kind of listed whatever's in it, like Korg's Two Dads, which by the yeah. way, there's a che cheeky rock joke in there. Um, they haven't really even established if there are females in his species, though. Like, they could just yeah. be asexual coded male. Yeah. Um, in any case, Valkyrie's a lesbian. Doesn't really play into it at all. She like kisses one of Zeus's harems. Yeah, it, it, and jump. It's all. Yeah. It's always in the background. It's a, it's never something you know that, that's like like in the forefront. Markets. So like, and that's William Seibold's thing. It's like, stop calling things that are like you know like it's super gay when it's the most minuscule fucking limp wristed attempt at being something that's represent rep representational of the LGBTQI community. And then be like, like heralding it as like a giant victory for cinema. Like, I'd say Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness was had had more gay content in it. Did it? I don't even remember at this point. Uh, I'm not looking for it either. America had like two moms, and she was wearing like right. the pride pin on pin, her. Yeah. Her, I didn't even. I mean, I guess that's that's the part you have clear as far as I can tell. Yeah, but my point is, as far as like the audience score. I, I just I, I think about the kind of people that you know, go, go to Rotten Tomatoes and purposely like downvote things. Like, hang on, how much this would have angered them? 
Okay, so Rotten Tomatoes can't have this both ways. Mm -hmm. They claim that they've done a good job of trying to weed out the review bombs. Either you suck. Go finish, but then I got I got to add something to that because I forgot and I neglected a whole portion of this audience that I was that's probably review bombing this out just out of spite. Go ahead. If you mean the comic fans, sure. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Rotten Tomatoes has made a big deal of not over the last little bit about we, you know, refining what they do to try and weed out people who are just spouting nonsense uh, review bombs of films. Okay, they should. You can't then claim, well, I wonder if this got review bombed. <laughs> Here's the other you thing. <clears throat> you don't get to have that both ways. Sorry, I got to put this comment by Pat on here. I know he's <clears throat> I know he's meaning to be cheeky, but I actually think that's like a, that's like a valid point. <laughs> he says, I think no. it was review bombed by gay people hoping for more gay, to be honest. I'm I'm sure there's a contingent that that is true of. Not gay enough. Um, so here's my here's my actual like. I wanted this. Zeus to transform into a swan at bed later. What the heck? <laughs> Um, I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering how much of this is comic fans like we don't accept Jane Thor we won't accept Jane Thor you're forcing Jane Thor in our Thor movie we already hate this movie and like that's a bigger issue than the gay not gay like issue with this movie is like, 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 like no gay not gay who gives a fuck get Jane Thor out of my Thor movie we hate her and so, like, the movie sucks no matter what. Like, that's, and I'm wondering if that's why the score is as low as it is. I mean, it's still high, it's still fresh for an audience score, but I have to imagine that's part of it. If I put out a movie and got an 80% audience score, I'd, I'd be pretty happy with myself. Yeah, look, so, I, I'm so not would I, but you know, we're not, we're not uh, holding it to the standard of what you and I would release. This is supposed to yeah. be a big, if you're, if you are getting a full 20%, a full fifth of your audience to not like your movie. When you see when this many people are seeing it, and you're trying to appeal to the widest possible audience, that again, this is not going to flop. It's going to make money, but that's not a great indicator. In some ways, Thor: Love and Thunder feels like Ragnarok Redux, but overall, <clears throat> it offers fast enough, fun pace to make this a worthy addition to the MCU. Mm. I- if, right. as, far, as far as trying to parse what all the critics are saying, fine, fair enough. But this is, not a, this is not a worthwhile addition to anything. Look, whether you like this movie or not, I don't. I don't really care. Like what you like, whatever. This is not a worthwhile film. Ooh, it read Allison just... Gilmore. I will, or, or don't. <laughs> Allison Gilmore of Winnipeg Free Press. Bale really commits because that's what he does, but there isn't much to commit to and nothing matters except the next joke. Accurate. Not too far off. I mean, to be <laughs> honest, I read that because it was from Winnipeg and, you know, Canada represent. But yeah, I actually think decent, decent criticism. I mean, look, Chris Jericho's from Winnipeg too. Larushka Ivan Zada, who is a uh, character in a Street Fighter mo- uh, game from Metro.co.uk, top critic. An obscenely entertaining rainbow highway straight to blockbuster heaven. Ma'am, there's no DVD box. Knock it the fuck off. Yeah. That's that's trying too hard for a pull quote. Yeah. It really is. Good grief. Where did you get get the check sent to? Like, (laughs) wow. Bob Grimm of Reno News and Review. 
I can't dislike a movie that features gigantic screaming goats. Well, I will for you. you. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, fair enough about being upfront about your stupid fetishes, I guess. But it's his favorite movie, Men Who Stare at Goats. No, Amy because Nich- they kill the goats. Amy Nicholson, um, who uh, intellectually competes with toaster ovens from Film Week, and KPC- don't say that about toaster ovens of KPCC NPR Los Angeles top critic. I was really compelled by the ideas Taika Waititi was teasing in this film. But the actual style of it, the eagerness to please, made me take a step back from everything. But what he's discussing is really smart. No. Oh, low, low bar. It, it's not. I mean, I, I made my toaster jab just because it was a funny reversal. But uh, no, actually, yeah, I think that, that it's pretty competitive with the toasters. Hey, the, <laughs> brave little, the brave little toaster would mop the floor with her in a debate. Just, jeez. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Michael Ward of Should I See It looks good on paper yet falls short in execution okay um. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure how you get to looks good on paper that, that, I get the yeah. sentiment he's trying to get at and I think he's mostly accurate but that was not necessarily the turn of phrase you should have used there Jesse Gender of Jesse Gender YouTube channel oh Jesse Welcome to the show. While Chris Hemsworth continues honing his comedic chops as Thor, and the film remake, because we all know Thor from the comic book was this jokey jokester. Yeah, I'm not sure Chris Hemsworth really has to hone his comedic chops. He's he's pretty much a natural at that kind of goofball comedy, and he's quite good at it. Again, yeah, I just don't yeah. really have suit you, the character. Have you, have you seen Ghostbusters 2016? And the if film you, remains if consistent. If you have, I weep for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Robert. And the film remains consistently entertaining. Those hoping Taika Waititi would breathe new life and excitement into the growing Marvel fatigue of Phase 4 will be disappointed. You know, I mean, this is a sincere question to everyone out there, okay? I think the Marvel fatigue is a real thing. We've talked about it. We've we've looked at, uh, we've seen the way people talk about these films. We've seen some of the box office returns that have been less than stellar. Uh, I think that's a legitimate question. Like, where is the general fan base with the Marvel fatigue at this point? Because that's a real thing. Hey, Robert. Do you see him? Oh, no. Do you see him waddling down the hallway? (laughs) Mark's arch nemesis. (laughs) The guy with the little look. Look, we held him down and tattooed wide load and a tramp stamp on this guy, all right? We can leave him alone now. Hey, Kevin Carr, fat guy at the movies. I, why do you to make this creepy? Can Kevin Carr come out to play? Come out to play, Kevin Carr. Carr, come out to play. I need some beer bottles here. Taika, you know, this is like my favorite part of any review we do now. This is my creepy calling out of Kevin Carr. I just wonder, like, does he go as his own podcast? It was like, hey, Rattledge, I'm on Rotten Tomatoes, you fat fuck. Like, like, does he get, does he ever get me back for this? <laughs> that, that, would, that would be fun. We, we should I start a friendly rivalry. I, I we, don't, so. we don't have enough of a footprint. For, look, I told you, if you want to make that a thing, every time we review a movie, you need to tweet at him on Twitter with the timestamp where we talk about what he says. That's the only way this yeah. gains traction. 
Yeah, I'm Kevin, if it makes you feel any better, if you're actually hearing this, you actually listening to this review is probably like the greatest achievement of this podcast. <laughs> Not wrong. Not no, wrong I, at all. No argument from me. I right. think that, Rob, that Mark's just just annoyed that you you got a better name for for the podcast. You're, you're... I'm, a, I'm annoyed that you're on Rotten Tomatoes to begin with, and I'm still struggling with this. Anyway, Taika Waititi delivers another hilarious and thrilling cosmic adventure that also has a surprising amount of poignancy in the heart. No, Ugh. like well, I mean, if you're expecting has... no poignancy in heart, I guess yeah. yes, it's surprising. Like that's the only way you get to surprising when it comes to the emotional core of this film. That's it. Yeah, like, Robert really expected none. No. Okay. Bored. <laughs> well, surprised by the poignancy in heart, I mean. No. Uh, no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Valerie Calfrin of AWFJ Women on Film. Thor Love and Thunder has the verve of a glam rock musical full of Guns N' Roses riffs, bursts of lightning, and Technicolor travels along the Rainbow Bridge. But its core is the tender idea that we all crave and need love, even if it hurts to lose it. <sighs> I can't say it's factually wrong. It's not, but you'd think someone who writes for that kind of an outlet would have encountered this idea at some other point along your intellectual readings and film watching and life experience. Doug Walker of Channel Awesome. We hate you, Doug Walker. We hate you. <laughs> Mark hates you. We hate you, Doug Walker. When it's a Thor movie, it's great. When it's a Minions movie, it's obnoxious. Oh, shut up. <laughs> like, fucking asshole. Seriously. Uh, like, how did you arrive at that? Uh, I don't think he puts a lot of thought into his little quips. Anything. Carmen Phillips of Autostraddle, which I guess is like something pornographic you do with a car. Um, top Critic. There's a lot of fun in Thor, Love and Thunder. It's a worthy successor to Thor Ragnarok. My favorite, and despite what Natalie Portman claims, still the gayest Thor movie. You really there, think... There were a lot of qualifications on that statement. <laughs> okay, hang on. It is probably the gayest Thor movie. No, 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 no. She's saying that Ragnarok is the gayest Thor movie. Oh. And I'm yeah, struggling with that notion. <laughs> More than a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're like for like subtext, maybe, but yeah, that that that's on you, not 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 the movie. Yeah, like that. No. <laughs> All right. Also, that, also that, anyone that... whose favorite movie is Thor Ragnarok, like even your favorite MCU movie is Thor Ragnarok, that speaks poorly of your taste. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. He said of most of our friends. You All can right. no no no. I, look, you can enjoy it. Right. If you look at the pantheon of Marvel movies and go, this is my favorite, that says a lot about you and not all of it's good. Okay. Uh, last one here. Kurt Loder of Reason Online. Bringing Russell Crowe in to play Zeus in a scene that goes on much too long is an idea that must have been hatched during an all-night mead bender. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Kurt Loder. You're not so cheeky. He's not wrong about that scene being entirely too long. I uh, They could have cut that entire sequence. They really could have. All right. Pat rebutted me. He said, I'm not being cheeky. When Portman made her comment, I believe gay people got genuinely excited when they were heavily and then heavily disappointed. However, they introduced Greek gods, so plenty of gay to come. <laughs> not a point. He's not, not wrong. wrong. <clears throat> no, no, those. Yeah, you, you are correct there, sir. 
All right. Um, well, that is our Love and Thunder review. Next week, that'll be myself, the, pro- the Protocol son, Jason Teasley, and Robert Winfrey. We'll be reviewing Where the Crawdad Sings. Um, I'm on vacation the following week. I will be in Cleveland uh, taking Jesse to go see Rage Against the Machine. So <laughs> in still makes me laugh. So in place of a live DMU Hollywood will be a re-air of DMU Hollywood. Hey, Robert, speaking of overused songs and movies, remember when we reviewed Pan? I do. Well, we're going to re-air it on the 26th. And then when we come back, we'll be reviewing DC League of Super Pets. So that's what's going on for Damn You Hollywood. Would you say that you panned Pan? Uh, we did. Um, as for the rest of this week... In so many ways. <laughs> uh, speaking of re-airs, this uh, uh, 14th, uh, July 14th, we'll be re-airing The Legend of Tarzan review. On Sunday, we've got a re-airing of our on-trial for the movie Inception um and then uh, i'm back on sunday from my trips and vacations and whatnot i wish Sean and i will be reviewing out of cleveland <laughs> well no cleveland's the following week i'm i'm going to a nude resort for the next three oh. days that's why there's no more shows this week well, then i, I will really be back wish from... you good luck <laughs> <laughs> telecast that one will i be telecasting they'll be on that i'll be at a nude resort i mean i'll be talking about it in vascular detail but you know i have to go first Anyway, um, so Sean and I will be reviewing Studio 666, Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny in Detroit Rock City on July 17th. Uh, Jesse and I will um, continue from the corner to the deuce, the great works of David Simon, by talking about the actual corner, one of the most depressing shows in the history of television. And then um, one of the not one of the least depressing shows in the history of television will be myself, uh, Alexis Haina and Alexis Haina. And we'll be t- Alexis Hanna got drafted to talk about this. Nobody volunteered for this, and this was at a time that I was still scheduling stuff just to schedule things. So one of the very last TV shows I'll be reviewing that I felt compelled to, not because I wanted to, but I have been enjoying watching it with my daughter and even my wife. Uh, she uh, she got in on the on the gag. We'll be reviewing Ms. Marvel, so that'll be fun. Are you are you are you sad you you're going to miss that review, Ms. Marvel? There, uh, Robert Winfrey, Screaming Boy Podcast. Mark, <laughs> yes, you don't want me on that show. <laughs> no, you're c- completely correct about that. All right, um, go ahead and do your plugs there, Robert. All right, Mark mentioned what we'll be reviewing next week, so thank you all very much for listening to this show. If you'd like to follow some of my other stuff, I have another podcast that I host. It is uh, the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. If you're interested in the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts, I cover that. So you can punch that into your podcast platform of choice, and you can probably find me there. I cover professional wrestling and mixed martial arts for 411mania.com. I cover AW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW's uh, Various Adventures on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, and whatever the UFC is doing on Saturday. This Saturday, uh, I will be covering UFC on ABC3, which begins at 11 a.m. Eastern time for the prelims. So that'll be fun. But you can find all of those in either the wrestling or MMA zones of 411mania.com. And I very much appreciate any of you that do happen to bop over there and check those out. So thank you very, very much. All right. <laughs> Uh, damn you pat all right folks thank you for joining us here on damn you hollywood hope you enjoyed our review of thor love and thunder for david wright and robert winfrey i'm mark radledge be well be safe and be